Well, as we um, continue our series through the book of Hebrews, uh, let's pick it up right where we left off at verse 3 of chapter 12. Verse 3, chapter 12 of Hebrews. We'll be working through just uh, through verse 13. Had a lengthy section on faith. Really, we had kind of a series within a series, if you will, on faith um, the last couple of chapters. The inspired author brings up the subject of God's discipline. What's the connection? Well, faith is how we come into a loving relationship with God. And in the Bible, discipline and love go hand in hand. So let me give you the thesis for today. And then we'll read the text. It's very simple and always true that God disciplines those whom he loves. That's it. That's really the thing we need to get today. And we need to get it really, really well. By the way, here we are talking about God's special love for those who have become his children by grace through faith, not so much his general love for the whole world. This also becomes clear in the text, so let's get into it from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. <clears throat> that last verse... I got to tell you that last verse is, uh, it's, um, it hits me differently as I have aged. Sometimes I have to wonder if every joint in my body will need to be replaced before I'm done. Let me know what I'm talking about. And remember, remember that uh, during the uh, first year of this church plant, about just uh, right at four years ago, uh, even at my relatively young age, I had a big problem. Some of you who were here know that. I basically couldn't walk. <laughs> uh, I had a joint problem. I, uh, basically, my hips had deteriorated to the point that uh, I couldn't walk without extreme pain. After a two-year journey of medical discovery, I finally got answers, and the long or really more the short of it um, is that I had to go in for surgery in order to get my legs cut off. That's what they do. I mean, that's actually what they do. It's, 
you know, they, they, they actually, well, just the ball, but I mean, they do. They actually cut off the ball of your femur uh, and they replaced it with a metal ball and a metal socket. Both of mine got that done within three months of each other. But why? You know, I mean, why do they do all that? It's, it's pretty painful. Um, why do they do that? Well, so that it can be healed. So that the pain can stop and the joint can start working again. Painful but effective. Three years later, today, my paths are straight. <laughs> we can kind of walk a straight line now. It's great. The limbs, which were lame, are no longer out of joint. Thanks be to God and the medical science he used to make me well. All that said, for our purposes today, I will be exhibit A. <laughs> and since from this text and others, it is clear that physical pain can be used as discipline by God. And since joint pain and the healing of joints is even the example God uses here, the question you might ask is whether or not my pain should have been seen as discipline. Was Pastor Mark receiving discipline from God in the situation with his hips? Answering this question is going to help me explain something that is very, very important for you to understand. But first, let me answer the question plainly, and many of you may be surprised to know the answer is yes. The situation with my hips was definitely God's discipline. Maybe your head is spinning. Maybe you're wondering what it was that I had done that was so bad back then to warrant such discipline from God. And so let me hurriedly clear this up with a principle you need to remember throughout today's message and beyond. Listen carefully. Not all discipline is punishment. Write that at the top of your notes, please. Not all discipline is punishment. And while I'm at it, here's another principle to remember. God does not waste pain. God does not waste pain. Are you starting to follow me? There are many avenues that can bring pain and suffering into your life. Even as a believer, our spiritual enemy, Satan, can bring pain into your life. When God allows it, just ask a man named Job. You can read about him in the Old Testament of your Bible. But besides the forces of darkness, your own poor choices can bring pain into your life. Obviously, we all know that the poor choices or even evil choices of others brings pain into our lives as well. The existence of evil, the reality that the earth is cursed because of sin, the natural law of entropy, the fact that our bodies are in a constant state of dying. And yes, as a believer, sometimes even God himself actively brings pain into your life, perhaps in the form of remedial punishment, other times just to help you grow further. But here is the point. God uses all of the above as discipline. He uses it all to make you better. He uses it all to make you more like Christ. Remember, not all dis discipline is punishment. Discipline can be proactive. Discipline is something coaches teach and military instructors demand. And often it isn't because of an error on your part, but simply because someone with authority over and responsibility for you wants to make you better. When I made my son stack mountains of firewood as a 10-year-old, it wasn't because he had done anything wrong. 
It was because I didn't want to do it myself. <laughs> oh, wait, that's, that's not what I meant to say. That, that, that wasn't the main reason. Seriously, it was kind of hard for me to ask that poor little kid to do that. It really was. I would have rather done it myself, honestly, because then I could have done it the way I wanted it done. <laughs> but I got that kid all bundled up and got him out there in the Missouri cold because I wanted him to learn how to work hard so he could be disciplined, trained up, even though a little bit of dad-contrived hardship, complete with black and blue fingernails, splinters and all. None of this was because he had done anything wrong. Not all discipline is punishment. What about Tori, my daughter, you may ask? Well, she helped mom make the cocoa, okay? No, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> I'm kidding. I got Tori out there as well plenty of times. But frankly, and this is the truth, Tori was born a hard worker. It just, it was automatic for her. But the point is that God does not waste pain. He uses all of it to help you grow. Listen carefully. God wants to use every ounce of pain you've ever experienced in, to make you more like Jesus. As a good father, God stands ready to proactively discipline you through every kind of suffering that comes into your life, whether he brought it upon you or, as is more often the case, when it comes from your own choices or the choices of others. Listen, within this principle lies a huge key to victory for your life. I encourage you to take in every bit of pain you ever experience as something God is using to make you better. When you do that, you can't lose. Recently, I had a revelation <laughs> that I have been engaged in spiritual warfare of late. I do believe that I've been under attack uh, of the enemy for a while now. Um, lately, a lot of it has been through my dreams. I wake up worn out. I won't take time to tell you about all the other things I've noticed that brought me to this conclusion. Because here's the cool thing. My realization about spiritual warfare is eclipsed by the understanding that God wants to use every bit of it to make me better. Satan has no power over me. His attacks are swallowed up by the sovereignty of God. And as I feel myself getting spiritually stronger in the hands of God, I can honestly say it's worth it. So with those understandings in the background, let's start to unpack this text, the thesis of which, again, is really summed up in the idea that God disciplines those he loves just as a good father disciplines his children. That's really it in a nutshell, that God disciplines those he loves just as a good father disciplines his children. Now, we're going to break this text out into four points. Number one, remember your father's discipline and endure. Let's look more closely at the first four and a half verses of our text. For consider him, that's Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You've not re yet resisted the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. First notice, this passage starts with the point that Christ endured something very difficult. For consider Christ who has endured. 
And then notice it ends with the point that like him, we must also endure through discipline. Remember also from last week that right before this, Jesus is presented as the author and perfecter of our faith, particularly in the fact that he endured the cross. So now in this passage, the shift the author is making is to show us Christ as our faithful example in enduring discipline specifically as it was either brought on or allowed by God the Father. And the first question you might ask is, why would Jesus need to be disciplined? Well, remember what I said. This is part of how I know it's true, that not all discipline is punishment. Jesus didn't need to be punished because the Bible makes clear that he never sinned. But we also know that from, for instance, Luke 2.52, that Jesus grew. That Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew. He matured. He learned. He changed. He became. How did this happen? Even Jesus experienced the nurturing discipline of a loving father. In case you're not convinced, look back at chapter 2 of the very book we've been studying. Chapter 2 of Hebrews verse 10 says, For it was fitting for him, that being God the Father, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation, Jesus, through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. God wanted Jesus to be our example in everything, so he dis disciplined him like a son. Look again at verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Anybody need that today? Did you take that in just now? For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We are to be inspired by the example of Christ and how he endured. We should not grow weary and lose heart because he endured many than, more than any of us. But wait, what did Jesus endure? Well, here's where you have to look at the context. If you look at the whole context of this passage, it is actually about the loving yet painful discipline of our Father God, even though the whole thing is kicked off with what Jesus endured at the hands of sinners. The point is that in enduring the hostility of the cross, Jesus also endured the discipline of God. So, am I saying God caused the Romans and the Jews to crucify Jesus? No, I'm certainly not saying that. What I am saying is that God does not waste pain. Remember, he uses it all to discipline us. Even the evil intent of others, even the work of Satan, God used it all to finish his work in and through Jesus. And at the end of the pain, he was both resurrected and glorified because he endured. Jesus is our great example in how to respond to the discipline of God by enduring until the reward just like he did. Look at how the author turns it back to us in verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin. He's saying that Jesus endured to the point of shedding blood and dying, but you have not. In other words, you and I are not done enduring yet. We are not having our blood shed. 
We're not being killed, at least not here and not now. And so we have not attained to the endurance of Jesus. There's still work for God to do in us. Think back to the original audience of this text and consider what they were enduring in terms of their striving against sin, as it says. This is a little bit tricky, but again, context is key. Taken by itself, you might think verse 4 is talking about their efforts to overcome temptation, you know, their struggles to avoid sin. However, I do not think that's mostly what this verse means. Verse 3 was not about Jesus struggling against sin. No, it was about the pain he endured due to the sin of those who condemned him. Here, Jesus is, is presented as our example in enduring the painfully sinful actions of others. And he did so all the way to the point of shedding blood. And so in context, I think the resisting here in verse 4 and the striving against sin, as it says, is mostly about enduring this sinful place filled with sinful people who do sinful things. The people and the original audience of this letter were under great persecution, and some Christians had indeed already been killed for their faith. You know, like back in Jerusalem. These folks addressed in Hebrews were afraid that they were next. The author is telling them, hey, so far for you, it's just rhetoric, really. So far, you are only having to endure hatred, maybe being called names, perhaps taken to court for your beliefs, criticized or threatened. So far, even though you are experiencing the pain of being a Christian in a sin-fallen world, at least you have not gone so far as Jesus in shedding blood. Can you see how this is relevant to us today? Because the same is true for us as was true for the original audience, right? Nobody in this congregation has been killed for their faith as yet. Has anybody been killed yet? No, not yet. The inference is, that like them, we should be able to endure whatever it is that we are enduring. But then the author turns to the bigger point, which he's been setting up the whole time, and he basically says, besides, besides all that, listen, God uses all of the pain for your good. Look at verses 5 through 7. And you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. Think of the shift the inspired author makes here from striving against sin to embracing the Father's discipline. He even quotes Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 to illustrate and bolster his point, which is plainly stated, remember your Father's discipline and endure. But he was just talking about his striving against sin. And now he's saying, remember your father's discipline. He's saying he uses it all. The idea is that if you will just get it, that the pain you are going through, regardless of the source, is being used by your father, God, to train you up to maturity, then you will be able to endure. You will be able to endure when you understand God's purpose. That's what he's saying. See, this is very much about how you look at things. This is about point of view. This is about remembering, as I put it in the point, the truth that God is still working on you, and he's using every kind of pain that comes into your life to do it. Listen, you'll have a whole new perspective on life when you see all pain as discipline and all discipline as love from your heavenly Father. Remember, it's all being used 
as discipline by God. And that'll help you endure. But why discipline at all? <clears throat> Maybe that's a question for some. Why discipline? Why do we have to have it? What's, what's, why does it have to happen? Well, because we are his children and he loves us. If you want to see what an undisciplined child looks like these days, it's very, very easy. Just spend a little time in public. I remember one day when we were at Red Robin having a burger and the table nearby held a birthday party for the little girl whose birthday it was. She spent most of her time in her mother's lap, which is the end of the good part of the story. This little girl began hitting her mother in the face and she was old enough for it to hurt. The mother's face began to literally turn red from the beating she was taking. And for what seemed like an eternity, the mother said over and over and over again, please stop doing that. Please stop, please. She was kind and sweet at first until she was hurt and sad and angry, but she just kept begging her daughter to stop hitting her, even though she really never did, until they came to sing happy birthday to her, presenting her with dessert, which she ate leaving her mother with a moment of peace before it was all going to start over again. Sadly, we all probably see things like this often, but folks, it has not always been this way. And I'm just barely old enough to know what it used to be like. So if you're younger than me, you probably can't really visualize what a society is like where children actually obey their parents' most simple commands. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Parents stopped disciplining their children. They believed the pernicious lie that love and discipline don't mix. And by now you should have picked up on the fact that discipline involves pain, even though it's actually love. I want you to look back at the second half of verse 6 one more time. He scourges every son whom he receives. Guess what the word scourges means? I could give you the Greek word, which is something like spankopadius. <laughs> okay, not really. But what matters is that it simply means to whip. God whips his children. Folks, that's literally what this says in our text. God spanks his kids. That's what the Bible says. I'll go back to what has happened in our society for a moment, and I'll tell you that when people decided that love and physical discipline could not mix, society started going down the drain. Yep, my parents spanked me when they had to. And I absolutely understood very early. They made sure I understood that it was out of love. Now, before you check out completely, hear this also. How they did it was critically important. Some people got spanked. They did not perceive it as love, right? I get that. I hear you. And that might even mean for your family, because of your past trauma, you need to find another way. I can understand that. My goal today is not to get someone who is dead set against spanking to start spanking. That's not my goal today. What's my goal? My goal is simply to preach the Word of God without watering it down. Some of you may be hating me right now, but listen, if you can't stomach spanking your kids, or maybe it's just too late to start, or if there's some special reason it's a bad idea in your situation, then let me at least say this. You better find something 
that does not cause lasting harm, yet does cause enough discomfort that they desperately don't want to experience it again. Discipline. By the way, psychological damage is far worse than a sting on the butt. So make sure you're not using abusive speech as a replacement for spanking. Yelling at your kids is not a good form of discipline. Saying no really loud over and over while they keep doing it is not discipline. Hopefully anyone can see that being mean to your children or using manipulation tactics is far worse than three quick but painful swats and a loving hug afterward. It's so much better to cause a little physical pain that goes away in seconds than to inflict emotional or mental pain that they'll remember forever. All right, so look, the point is that there's got to be something wherein a warning actually works, right? I mean, otherwise, what happens when they're running out in the street in front of traffic? No discipline equals no love. Why am I talking about this horribly controversial subject? Well, the Bible talks about it in many places, and right here in Hebrews is one of those places. Our text for today says that our Heavenly Father scourges every son whom He loves. This is, this is given as an example of the love of God, folks, even as it is compared to the love of a good parent. By the way, the day I stop preaching the difficult parts of the Word of God is the day we become just another impotent church. And while I'm at it, <laughs> let me make something very clear. My primary goal can never be to get more people or keep more people. Preaching the Bible, I will always be offending a certain number of every crowd, one way or another, and believe it or not, I also have people leave this church because I wasn't harsh enough or political enough or rigid enough. Obviously, we've always had those who won't stay because my message doesn't square with the worldly message. But we also lose a number who, who, who wanted, basically, for me to be meaner. They're out there. Not making it up. So, we will offend and lose people on both sides of those expectations, and that just has to be okay. I do not preach to get people or keep people. Never have, never will. That said, you don't have to leave just because you disagree with something, do you? Good luck finding anyone talking about anything anywhere and never disagreeing with anything they ever say. <sighs> so again, why must God discipline us and why must we discipline our children? Well, because of love. That's the slogan of our church, if you remember. Sometimes people think it sounds too soft. Because of love. They think it sends the wrong message. Whatever. <laughs> Listen, love includes discipline. Love includes truth that stings. Love sometimes hurts. Remember that when you don't like my sermons. But again, why God's discipline? Why discipline our children? Because of love. Let me close this out by quoting the great theologian, Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> Surely most of you have heard of Miley Cyrus, who got famous as a wholesome teenage actress on Disney uh, show called Hannah Montana but has since become a paragon of sexual immorality and rebellion against everything good on God's green earth. 
Her father, who professes to be a Christian, is Billy Ray Cyrus. When he talks about what happened, he says Satan has destroyed his family, but he also takes a lot of the blame. He says, and I quote, how many interviews did I give and say, you know what's important between me and Miley is I try to be a friend to my kids. I said it a lot. And sometimes I would even read where other parents were saying, you don't need to be a friend. You need to be a parent. Well, I'm the first guy to say to them right now, you were right. Maybe I can just sum this whole discussion up with one verse of Scripture, Proverbs 13, 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So once more on the why discipline question, it's because of love. And this applies both to disciplining our kids as well as, God's, uh, as, well as God disciplining us. When we remember that this is the reason for God's discipline, we can endure more effectively. Let's look at the second point. Whew, that was the hard part. All right. Point two, respect your father's discipline and live. Picking it up from where we left off, look at verses seven through nine. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become takers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. So we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live. First, let's not skim over the fact that God deals with us as sons. Now, I might be tempted in our day to say that, of course, this really means sons and daughters, not just sons. And in one sense, that is obviously correct. Of course, this is about male and female, children of God. Yes. But let me help you see something a little bit deeper. From a Hebrew perspective, sons were treated differently than daughters. They had more responsibility to the family, and they seemed to have been disciplined more diligently. That was simply the cultural context of the original audience to whom this was written. So what if God really wanted this to say exactly what it says? What if God meant that he treats all of us, males and females, as his sons? In the context of what that meant in the Hebrew culture, which is to say that we are entitled to special treatment, special honor, and even a special blessing, all of which come with special responsibility requiring special, what? Discipline. At certain points in the Bible, something important may be lost in translation if we simply neuter everything. That's actually the word you use when you're talking about Greek. It's, can be, it can be masculine, feminine, or neuter. So I wasn't really being crass with that. But I did, I did use it to make sure you're awake. <laughs> Something's lost in translation when we do that. Keep in mind that Jesus was a man, a son who died for all men and women. There's something exclusive about the fact that Christ was a man, and there's something inclusive about the fact that he died for all men and women. We need to understand when gender matters in the Bible. It's a tricky subject, to be sure. In our text today, I think it matters, at least in one sense. As it is communicated in this particular text, believers are all sons to God. He disciplines us as sons. That's what it says. Now, am I saying it is wrong to ever refer to daughters of God or children of God? No. 
Not at all. I'm simply saying that in this text, there is something special to be understood in the fact that we are referred to as sons, that we are disciplined as sons. It feels strange in our language today, but this text calls us all sons of God in the specific sense that we are all disciplined as sons whom God loves. Regardless of whether you agree or understand me on this side point, the most important idea here is that by faith, we are the favored children of God. That in the discipline of God, we see Him as Father. How incredible is that? I mean, really, have you thought about this? God is your Father. And He loves you so much that He actively disciplines you throughout your life. Your Heavenly Father does not leave it to the village to raise you. He doesn't even leave it to angels. God Himself disciplines you as His child's. Unless, of course, you are not actually one of His. That would be a pretty important question. One I ask about every Sunday. Have you ever become a child of God? How does this happen? By grace, through faith in Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. God accepts you as His own. By grace, through your faith. And the point here is that if you don't have God's discipline going on in your life, you might better check to make sure you've joined the family because God disciplines his sons. Now, the idea of legitimacy here has an interesting twist as well because the very persecution these Jewish Christians were enduring was coming from the other Jews who were telling them that they were no longer legitimate Jews. They were saying that these Hebrew believers had been cut off from the family of God because they no longer participate in, in the temple worship and the sacrificial system, all of this religious stuff that was eclipsed in Christ. But God points to that very persecution, to this pain that is coming from the accusations of illegitimacy to prove that they are, in fact, His legitimate children. The big point the writer's making about legitimacy here is that they will receive all of this pain as as ultimately being the discipline of God the Father, they will be proving that they are actually His legitimate children. That they should be encouraged by this. That God loves them as a father enough to discipline them as His own. Now let's get to verse 9 where we want to camp out a little bit. Verse 9 says, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? This is the first spot in our text where we start to get the idea that our response to God's discipline matters. Yes, we are to allow God's discipline to place us in subjection to Him. This should be our response to God's discipline, subjection to Him. Notice that this verse is not saying that we should be subject to discipline. As if discipline itself were our master but rather that because of discipline, we should be subject to God. In so doing, we actually gain mastery over the pains of life. In other words, as we submit to God because of discipline, we find what? Life. Let me say it again. As our response to discipline becomes submission to God, we find life. That's worth chewing on later. This verse also tells us more about the purpose of discipline, doesn't it? Respect develops through discipline. And take note that respect is not a synonym for love. No, there's something different about respect. And here we're not talking about a general respect that you ought to have for anyone and everyone. But this is a deep respect that is something quite unique. It turns out that the person we come to respect the most in our lives 
is almost always going to be the one who disciplined us the most out of love. Now, some people don't respect anyone all that much because maybe nobody ever loved them enough to discipline them. But don't miss the point. The exceptions or your own limited experience. Again, there's a special kind of respect reserved for the person who disciplined you the most out of love. Many times, that will be your father. Or I would say that it should have been. And our text is pointing to this life principle to say that it also holds true with God. But there's a difference. The difference is that with God, it's a little bit harder to realize what is going on. That He is the one bringing discipline, and that pain is not just a random part of our lives. With God, we're really talking about the spiritual unseen world, and sometimes we don't do well with connecting the dots. With God, faith is required. With God, there's the need to respond with subjection rather than to remain oblivious. We see this throughout Scripture. Your response is required before God's work comes to fruition. For God's discipline to have its intended results, you'll need to surrender to what He is doing. For this to work right, you'll need to be subject, as it says here, submitted to your heavenly Father, understanding that means He has the authority to dis- discipline as you see He sees fit. When you come to respect your spiritual Father in this way, you will live. Also notice that the author refers to God as the Father of spirits here. I'm not sure that phrase is used anywhere else in the Bible. Some commentaries say this should read, Father of our spirits the father of our spirits. But regardless of whether that's a better translation, it's really the only logical interpretation. That is what it means. The whole thing is about the fact that God is our father. And believing, uh, as believing human beings, uh, to think that it's talking about some other spirits doesn't make any sense in the context. So why the reference to God as the father of our spirits? Father of our spirits. It almost seems like it's kind of just jumped in there. I think the author's trying to move our thoughts beyond the temporal, right? I mean, we've talked about everything from scourging to physical pain and these things. He's moving away from that, and we're more than these bodies, right? We're more than these bodies or the pain we may feel in them. I'm more than a set of titanium hips, right? And anyway, God's discipline is more than physical. We are spiritual beings. We have spirits, and God's fathered over us all uh, is all-inclusive. His discipline, as it says in the next verse, is for our good. And so we need to understand that this good is spiritual. From God's perspective, our good is always less temporal than it is eternal. We can see the eternal nature of this admonition, admonition in the two words, and live. When God talks about living, He's never referring exclusively to life on this earth, but is always also referring to eternal life, which by definition is more profound since it is eternal. See, only legitimate sons subject themselves to God's discipline, and only legitimate sons have eternal life with the Father of spirits. Let's move on through our text to the third admonition today, which is this. Receive your Father's discipline and benefit. By the way, they say now the, the latest, uh, oh, the latest little thing about preaching, and they'll teach you in preaching classes today, which they didn't teach when I was having it, um, is that one-point sermons are the best. Well, if you really look at it, all four of these points are kind of pretty much saying the same thing. Receive your father's discipline and 
benefit. From verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplined us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, first we need to understand that all of this discipline is for our good, for our benefit. Okay, remember what I said in the beginning, that not all discipline is punishment and that God doesn't waste any pain. Now, some discipline is indeed punishment, and all discipline is indeed painful. But just remember this, all discipline is also beneficial. Think how this plays out. God uses it all. So, for example, someone does something terrible to you or says something mean, causing you pain. And make no mistake, God is sad with you. Our Heavenly Father can be heartbroken for his children. I believe God has empathy when we hurt. Jesus showed us that. But along with the empathy, God still doesn't let the pain go to waste. He uses the pain to make you more like Christ, and that is quite a benefit. Now, this is not to say that God never puts an end to pain either. Sometimes he rescues us from suffering. Sometimes he heals, and sometimes he stops evil from happening to us, and sometimes he puts an end to our troubles, and there's not not one thing wrong with asking him to do that. In fact, you should. But in the meantime, it helps to understand and receive the benefit that God is giving you through it all. That said, here's another key understanding from this verse, these verses. You probably won't be able to see what the benefits are in the middle of the pain. Hear that. This is where faith and believing come into the equation. God says, hey, I know you're going to hate this. Um, you're not going to be joyful, but sorrowful, as it says. You may even get mad about it. You're probably going to shed some tears. But trust me, trust me, the result is for your good. The similarity in this in disciplining our own children is so obvious, isn't it? Spanking my kids a few times I had to was one of the hardest things I ever did. I loathed it. I often shed tears afterward myself. It really did hurt me more than them. They might argue about it, but I, I really think so. Whatever method of discipline you use, if you don't absolutely hate doing it, it probably isn't severe enough. Why? Because discipline must make children sorrowful in the moment. It probably needs to bring tears. It'll not feel good at the time to them. And my goodness, it is so very hard to be the cause of pain in our children's lives, isn't it? But if we discipline them out of love for their ultimate benefit in the long run, then that is exactly what it can bring. Ultimately, there are benefits to discipline, and not so much for us as for them. And see, we've got to love them enough to look past the brevity of discipline's pain to the long-term, even eternal benefits. That is exactly what God does. Let's talk about two of those benefits that come from God's discipline in our lives. First, holiness. As our text says, He disciplines us that we may share his holiness. Now, more than just saying we will become more holy, this actually says that we will share in his holiness. That's very profound. Through discipline, God allows us to share his holiness. God's holiness is a reference to his purity, his perfection, and really his fire. There's something about power in this word. And really, um, just being set apart, incredibly special, Something about being untouchable, so full of light that maybe our faces would shine like the face of Moses shown when he'd been with God. To be clear, it means you become a very special person. Discipline 
that we may share His holiness. Wow. This has to do with becoming godly, ready for heaven. Holiness ought to be the heart's desire of every single person who by faith in Christ has received the Holy Spirit. But understand, my friends, that according to these verses, all of this holiness, this special person that God wants you to be, that you can be, comes only by the discipline of God. The second benefit is righteousness. From the last part of verse 11, all discipline yields the peaceful fruit of of righteousness. The peaceful fruit that has yielded from the life that has been disciplined by God is righteousness. Notice this benefit's listed as a fruit, something that is yielded. Perhaps this is less about your identity as His holiness and more about what you're actually doing with your life. Righteous fruit has something to do with works, I think. It's about good things coming out of your life in season, righteous things, things that could only come by the ongoing work of God. And this peaceful fruit only develops through discipline. These are benefits. And they come into our lives as we receive our Heavenly Father's discipline. Let's move on to the last two verses and the final point this morning, which is this, respond to your Father's discipline and finish strong. From verse 12, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, first let's go back to a word from the previous verse, verse 11, and that word is training or to be trained. As is often the case with Eastern languages, there's a word picture behind this. Transliterated from the Greek, the word is gumnazo. To experience vigorous training and control, this is what the Greek dictionary says, to experience vigorous training and control with the implication of increased physical and or moral strength to train, to undergo discipline. As you might surmise, we get words like gymnasium from this word. Contained therein is the idea of physical fitness, and it harkens back to the imagery from the previous verses about running our race to win. So as we read verses 12 and 13, we should be picturing someone in intense training in order to become strong enough to compete in something like the Olympic Games. It doesn't come easily. Intense training. The author's been sharing about discipline, why it's important, how we should see it. And then as he closes out the topic, he basically says, so get up off your rear and get with the program because the program is designed to get you ready to win. So stop whining and let's do this. Again, this goes back to what we talked about last week. It's the whole idea of being uh, cheered on by the cloud of witnesses so that we can be strong enough to finish and even win the race. But more than just a pep talk, this is, there's a very important principle here, which is this. How you respond to discipline may affect both its duration and severity. Wait, What? That's right. How you respond to discipline may affect both its duration and its severity. From the end of verse 12 again, our text says, Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Apparently, how we respond to the Father's discipline can make a difference in what happens next. You see that there? It's all wrapped up in the words, so that. Basically, the author's saying, straighten up church, so that rather than more discipline, you can be healed from the previous discipline and press on. Now, 
Don't misunderstand this general principle as some kind of absolute rule. You are not in control. God is. And he knows how much discipline and exactly what kind you need. But it stands to reason, and this verse indicates, that if you respond more quickly and more fully to what God is trying to do, it's going to make a difference. Why? Because the result is the, is the point. Because the result is the point, not the discipline. It's not just discipline for discipline's sake. The result is the point, not the discipline. My dad says he doesn't remember ever getting a spanking. But he saw his, brother, his brothers get lots of them. He says he just learned from their pain. That's worth some thought right there, isn't it? Regardless, it's always important to remember that we have a partnership with God. He is in control, but he does not always control us. He allows for our decision-making. So the question is this, are you more like a strong-willed child who has to be disciplined three times in a row before she finally stops running out in the street? Or do you get it the first time? This verse seems to indicate that your response makes a difference. Respond to the Father's discipline and finish strong. I want to close by reminding you of one simple truth. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, then God is your Father. And He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He is a good Father. And He loves you. You can trust what God is doing in your life. Even in the pain He allows, you can trust Him. But because I know some of you are dealing with suffering that is just horribly awful, pain that seems impossible to endure, I'll close with one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. It says this, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Pray with me. Thank you, God, for being a good father, the perfect father, the example father. Thank you that we have you as a father by faith in Christ, that you care about us too much to leave us the way we are. Help us learn to look at life the way you've told us to look at life through your word. And when it gets real, help us remember. And help us especially remember that this life is not all there is. And that a time is coming. So, so soon from your perspective. When we will be perfected. When we'll be strengthened, confirmed, established. And that we'll get to spend eternity in the glory of Christ in a place where there is no more pain. Lord, change our hearts, change our perspectives, help us through. We are children. Help us grow in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.